They imaged the hard drives? Yes. How in the world did you get permission to do that? We basically had the entire elections committee there, and they said, we give you permission. Go for it. They said what? Go for it? What? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Holy cow. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA and a whole bunch of other affiliates that I don't have time to mention because that's how much show I've got to get in today. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Holy cow, do I have a lot to get to. I, I need to hit the results from Tuesday's primary elections very quickly, but I've got a guest standing by for a story we've been working on for some time, which involves some great investigative journalism from the folks at Washington Post and Reuters and ProPublica, uh, and some very quick thinking by our old friend Marilyn Marks of the Coalition of Good Governance, who recorded a very disturbing phone call from a man who claimed to have made secret copies of proprietary voting system software in one county in the great state of Georgia following Trump's claims of a stolen election in 2020, uh, which I think, by the way, is a violation of both state and federal law. Desi Doyen. I know. It's, I, uh, it's kind of bonkers, the whole story. Anyway, hi, Des. More hi. on that very momentarily. Some election results from Tuesday's midterm primaries in five states, including Kentucky, Oregon, Idaho, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. We will likely get back to more of this in the coming days since, as I said, I'm so short on time. Uh, and in, uh, since at least one of those races in question is likely to continue for a while. But in general... It was a good night, I think, for Democrats. It was a good night, I think, for progressives. So it was a good night, I think, for democracy. But we'll see. Let's start with some of the easy ones here first. As you have likely heard, uh, 26-year-old Trump-endorsed first-term insurrectionist U.S. Congressman Madison Cawthorn has lost his renomination contest to State Senator Chuck Edwards, in the GOP primary for the U.S. House in North Carolina's 11th Congressional District. So, I guess, we didn't even need to invoke the Insurrectionist Disqualification Clause of the uh, U.S. Constitution's 14th Amendment because GOP voters apparently took care of Madison for all of us. As one CNN reporter tweeted, Madison Cawthorn is both the youngest person in history to win a House seat and the youngest person in history to concede a House seat. <laughs> well, OK, yeah, that follows. <laughs> but it was close. I, I'd i have told him to stay in to, you know, count or recount all of the ballots. He reportedly lost only by about 1,400 votes out of about 60,000 cast. 
As you may recall, Cawthorn was last month cited for carrying a handgun through an airport, uh, his second citation for doing so. (laughs) He was cited for driving with a revoked license after being stopped for speeding twice. Uh, But most notoriously, Madison Cawthorn insinuated that Washington Republicans had invited him to at least one cocaine-fueled orgy. And that was it. The party establishment turned on him. And now he is apparently done. Hope he enjoyed his 15 minutes. And, of course, now we know where they draw the line in the Republican Party. That's it. Do not talk about cocaine-filled orgies. That's right. Exactly. Now, as to the the challenge to his candidacy that was filed by Free Speech for People, we've reported it closely on this show under the Constitution's Insurrection Disqualification Clause. Well, after an adverse ruling from a lower court uh, Trump judge... The uh, the group Free Speech for People had appealed that to a three judge panel, which appeared to believe the lower court had it wrong, but they had yet to issue their ruling. Now, I spoke with the group's president, John Bonifaz, this morning. Uh, He tells me that they had, uh, quote, argued before the appeals court on May 3rd that even if Cawthorn were to lose the primary, they wanted the appeals court to still reverse the lower district court because this would be a case which is, quote, capable of repetition yet evading review by an appellate court. So that would be the exception to a court simply ruling a case like this to be moot, which even the uh, uh, would, would allow the lower court ruling, even though in theory, if it was mooted out, it would technically not exist, but it could still be given to opponents as a way to try and cite that mooted case in other disqualification challenges. So Bonifaz suggests that a reversal of the lower court would still be better, even with Cawthorn no longer in the running. Also in North Carolina, the little-known but Trump-endorsed U.S. House uh, Rep. Ted Budd easily won the GOP nomination to run for U.S. Senate to replace the retiring Republican Senator Richard Burr. Budd will face Democratic former state Supreme Court Justice Sherry Beasley in North Carolina in November. Bud's Republican opponent in the primary was former one of his opponents was former North Carolina governor, Duke Energy CEO, and now two-time loser Pat McCrory. Remember him? Oh yeah, couldn't happen to a better person. Yeah, he refused to say that uh, he would endorse Ted Bud after losing the Republican primary, getting trounced by like 35 points. Ouch. In Kentucky, Senate uh, Republican Senator Rand Paul easily won his primary, will run against very progressive African-American Democratic primary winner Charles Booker this November. Won't be an easy race, but Paul seems to be working very hard to blow himself up between now and November. Never underestimate Rand Paul's power to screw things up. In Oregon, Tina Kotek, the more progressive Democratic candidate running in a large field for uh, the gubernatorial uh, primary in Oregon on the Democratic side. Tina Kotek uh, is Speaker of the House there. She easily prevailed in a very crowded primary to replace the retiring Democratic Governor Kate Brown. It appears that Kotek will run against Republican Christine Drazen, though they are still counting votes there in Oregon for now. In the 5th Congressional District, however, and what would be a stunning result, 
For the U.S. House, progressive Jamie McLeod Skinner is currently trouncing incumbent blue dog Democrat Kurt Schrader. As McLeod Skinner had huge grassroots support from progressives and a whole bunch of the indivisible grassroots groups, they could be turfing out a sitting congressman, Congressman Schrader. Congressman Schrader, who has not been very supportive, shall we say, of President Biden's agenda. In Idaho, in the governor's race on the Republican side, Republican Governor Brad Little easily defeated his own Trump-endorsed lieutenant governor, Janice McGeechan, who was challenging Little in the uh, GOP gubernatorial primary. McGeechan, who gave a speech to white nationalists and famously proclaimed herself the effective governor in the state and issued executive orders banning masks and vaccine mandates whenever Brad Little left the state. He'd then come back to the state, nullify the orders. Uh, She also had some famously insane campaign ads where she brandishes a pistol on top of a Bible. Well, good news. She'll soon be out of work. Uh, Governor Little will run against Democrat Stephen Height in November. Uh, Height ran uncontested, but it's a deeply red state. So, you know. And then the uh, biggest results of the night, really, I think, uh, come out of Pennsylvania. For governor, on the Republican side, Trump endorsed insurrection organizer and attendee State Senator Doug Mastriano will be the GOP nominee nominee for governor against the state's Democratic Attorney General Josh Shapiro. He ran uncontested for the Democratic nomination. Upon Mastriano's victory who the Republican establishment had begged Trump to not endorse, pretty please. Once it was announced that Mastriano won, the Cook Politico report moved that race from a toss-up race to leans Democratic. Republicans had tried to warn that they believe Mastriano will uh, get trounced by Josh Shapiro. We'll see if they are right in November. Mastriano spread lies about the 2020 vote count, now putting an election denier within striking distance of running a presidential battleground state in 2024 if he is to win the governor's race. He's already said that he would not have certified the state for Joe Biden uh, back in 2020, even though Biden won by more than by nearly 100,000 votes. Uh, Mastriano also, by the way, says that if he's elected, he will ferret out fraud in Pennsylvania by making every voter in the state re-register. Oh, boy. So uh, hopefully good news for Democrats and democracy uh, there with uh, Mastriano's win on the GOP side. In more apparent good news for progressives in the Keystone State, but we'll see. In the 12th Congressional District, progressive Summer Lee leads the establishment-backed Democrat Steve Irwin, but by less than half a percentage point, or in this case, about 400 votes out of about 110,000 that were cast in the uh, Democratic primary there in the 12th. It was uh, largely seen as a contest between the progressive and mainstream wings of the Democratic Party. Summer Lee, a very progressive African-American was the early front runner here. She had support from Pittsburgh Mayor uh, Ed Ganey, national figures like Senator uh, Bernie Sanders. 
But the race tightened after millions was spent for, by outside super PACs uh, against Summer Lee in the Pittsburgh market. That ended up boosting moderate candidate Steve Irwin. And uh, so we will see if that goes to a recount. Uh, the, the winner of the on the Democratic side, as luck would have it, would be running against a Republican named Mike Doyle, who ran uncontested in this very blue district. So whoever wins the Democratic side probably wins here, except for the fact that they will be replacing an outgoing U.S. congressman who chose not to run by the name of Mike Doyle. And now the Republicans have a Mike Doyle ah. running for that seat. Which might confuse voters. Might. And finally, perhaps the biggest race of the uh, night for the chance to flip the U.S. Senate seat being vacated by Republican Senator Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania, which Democrats are eager to flip from red to blue. Progressive Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, just days after suffering what we hope is a minor stroke, easily won the Democratic nomination, defeating conservative Democratic Congressman Connor Lamb. That's big news for Democrats. He's a very attractive candidate. We'll say that for now. We'll cover it more later, I'm sure. But on the Republican side, it is now a neck-and-neck battle at this hour between the Trump-endorsed celebrity doctor, TV doctor, Mehmet Oz, and, uh, well, we'll call him the more establishment Republican hedge fund CEO, Dave McCormick, though he's pretty Trumpy as well. For example, he hired Stephen Miller as a campaign advisor. The Trumpiest of them all, Kathy Barnett, who had a late surge in this race, well, she ended up a distant third after all, as Oz and McCormick are now two-tenths of one percent apart as we go to air. That's just about 1,800 votes out of more than 1.3 million cast. So the right to run against progressive working man uh, John Fetterman will be decided by the late Mail-in votes that all the Republican candidates said shouldn't have been counted back in 2020 because they were illegal, as they said. Funny how things change. Now, yeah, now there's suddenly believers in late arriving mail ballots. Go figure. Both men spent millions on their own campaign. Neither of them actually live in Pennsylvania. Oz moved from New Jersey uh, to run. McCormick moved from Connecticut to run. So this race is also likely headed for a recount. Don't tell them about yesterday's broadcast, by the way, in which we reported voters being turned away on Tuesday morning because of failed voting systems in several uh, right-leaning counties like Berks and Luzerne. I have a feeling they may find out about it. It could get ugly. I hope so. Anyway, sorry for the rush. As noted, more, no doubt, in the days ahead in uh, on key races. Uh, you can feel free to, uh, if I, you feel I missed any key progressive-related contest, drop me an email. Let me know. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And now, a quick uh, break to catch my breath before an amazing story about the nationwide effort by GOP election officials to steal voting system software following the 2020 election and a phone call which seems to reveal as much in at least one instance in Georgia. It always comes back to Georgia. A phone call caught on tape by our friend Marilyn Marks of the Coalition of Good Governance. That tape and that amazing story and what it all means for 2022 and beyond is ahead on today's busy broadcast. 
I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported, thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. Well, the devil didn't only go down to Georgia, but we'll get there in a second. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Last week, according to the Office of Colorado's Democratic Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold, a Mesa County, Colorado court judge removed Tina Peters as the designated election official or DEO for Mesa County, barring her from overseeing the 2022 primary and general elections in the Colorado County. Now, listeners will recall uh, Tina Peters as the elected far right MAGA County clerk of Mesa County, who snuck into a secure facility in the middle of the night last year with a couple of accomplices, one of whom she had issued a fake ID to turned off the security cameras and then proceeded to make copies of hard drives containing Dominion Voting Systems election management system software. The main brains, if you will, that runs the entire Dominion touchscreen voting system and even its hand-marked paper ballot tabulators. That previously highly guarded Proprietary software was subsequently released to the public via the Internet as Tina Peters appeared at one of MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell's silly Stop the Steal cyber symposiums last year, just weeks in advance of the California GOP's failed recall election of Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom out here. In California, it caused quite a panic here in the state among national cybersecurity and voting systems experts concerned about this software code having been released into the wild, as it is also used across several large counties in California, as well as Colorado, and indeed across many other states in the country. As the Colorado Secretary of State noted last week, Clerk Peters' actions compromised Mesa County's voting equipment and election security, constituting one of the nation's first insider threats where an election official risked the integrity of the election system in an effort to prove unfounded conspiracy theories. That, again, according to the Colorado Secretary of State. She notes the court's decision legally bars Peters from serving as the county's designated election official. That's the person responsible for overseeing and running elections for the for uh, local governments in the state. Uh, it bars her from serving as the DEO through the completion of all 2022 election related activities. At the same time, Peters is also facing a number of criminal charges for her involvement in that scheme to make images of heart of those hard drives, even as she has announced she is now running for the GOP nomination in Colorado to be their next secretary of state. Her actions uh, may have constituted one of the first known insider threats to elections themselves by an election official, as the secretary says. Uh, but they were not, as we have since learned, by any means the only such similar actions that have taken place in the wake of the 2020 election and the evidence-free claims by Donald Trump and his supporters that the election was stolen from him. 
As detailed in a more than 4,500-word special report from Reuters late last month, quote, 18 months after Donald Trump lost the White House, loyal supporters continue to falsely assert that compromised balloting machines across America robbed him of the 2020 election. To stand up that bogus claim, they write, some Trump diehards are taking the law into their own hands by attempting, with some success, to compromise the voting systems themselves, as Reuters notes. The report goes on to detail at least eight different instances around the country where election officials, election officials participated in schemes to undermine their own elections and election equipment by making usually secret copies of hard drives containing voting system software and or voter and ballot databases. Theoretically, in order to share that information with the leaders of the right wing MAGA movement, insisting that the 2020 election was stolen with the use of voting systems made by Dominion, despite their inability to find any actual evidence to support that extraordinary claim. Reuters notes previously unreported surveillance videos obtained by Reuters captured one such effort, for example, last August in the rural Colorado town of Kiowa. Footage obtained by Reuters through a public records request shows Elbert County Clerk Dallas Schroeder, the county's top election official, fiddling with cables and typing on his phone as he copied computer drives containing sensitive voting information. Schroeder, a Republican, later testified that he was receiving instructions on how to copy the system's data from a retired Air Force colonel and political activist bent on proving Trump lost because of fraud. That day, August 26, Schroeder made a, quote, forensic image of everything on the election server, according to his testimony, and later gave the cloned hard drives to two lawyers. Well, now Schroeder is under investigation for possible violation of election laws by the Colorado Secretary of State, which has also sued him, seeking the return of the data. Schroeder, again, an elected elections official, is defying the state demand and has refused to identify one of the lawyers who took possessions of the hard drives. The other is a private attorney who works with an activist who is backed by my pillow CEO guy, Mike Lindell. Reuters' excellent coverage here goes on to detail similar schemes discovered in a bunch of other states, intrusions on voting system software authorized or carried out by elected officials. In Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, though oddly enough, their report did not mention anything about a similar scheme in Georgia, which has been sort of ground zero for false 2020 election fraud claims by the MAGA mob. That omission in Reuters report was particularly strange, given that draft executive orders written by Trump's attorneys, one written for the Department of Homeland Security and one for the Department of Defense, were to have had the president declare martial law and have the nation's voting machines seized in the wake of the election, mandating the military hold new elections in the key swing states that Trump had lost in November of 2020. The draft executive orders cited Dominion voting system, uh, vo voting software that they had claimed had been examined in Coffee County, Georgia. 
Referencing a ruling from U.S. District Judge Amy Totenberg just days before the 2020 election in the legitimate long-running case challenging the use of Dominion Voting Systems touchscreen ballot marking devices in Georgia, a case filed by Marilyn Marks of the Coalition of Good Governance, the Trumpers' draft executive order went on to claim, quote, every defect and hazard of which Judge Totenberg warned just days before the election happened in Georgia. Witnesses in Georgia have provided evidence of crashes, the replacement of servers, impermissible updates to the system, connections to the Internet, and both Coffee and Ware counties have identified a significant percentage of votes being wrongly allocated, contrary to the will of the voter. Coffee County, Georgia, has refused to certify its results, says this draft executive order. When I initially read that order last year, the reference to Coffee County in Georgia struck me because I hadn't heard anything about problems in Coffee County, the rural southeast Georgia county where Trump is said to have defeated Joe Biden by 40 points. Nor had I heard anything about Coffee County refusing to certify its results, which, in fact, it did certify. But apparently, our friend and fairly regular guest on this program over the years, Marilyn Marks at the Coalition for Good Governance, had heard something about Coffee County when she was contacted at some point last year, in March, as a matter of fact, by a man claiming to have hacked into her legal filings in the coalition's long-running lawsuit, which prior to 2020 had resulted in the judge, Judge Totenberg, finding the state's old, deep old touchscreen systems to be insecure and unverifiable and therefore unconstitutional for use in Georgia's elections. That, just before Georgia's Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, decided to ignore advice from cybersecurity and voting systems experts to replace those now-banned Diebold systems in Georgia with new, similarly unsecure and vulnerable touchscreens made by Dominion. Now, Maryland, as the Washington Post reported last week, had the wherewithal at one point when she was called by this person to record the phone call, a phone call she received from businessman Scott Hall, who, it seems, must have thought Marilyn was on the side of the MAGA movement, um, you know, pretending that the election was stolen, but Marilyn wasn't. She was smart enough to know that the machines are vulnerable and unverifiable, and she's long been suing to have them replaced with verifiable hand-marked ballots. But she has told us that she has not seen any evidence to suggest that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump in Georgia or anywhere else for that matter. But as The Washington Post's Emma Brown and Amy Gardner detailed in their exclusive on Friday, a former election supervisor in rural Coffee County, Georgia, has told The Washington Post that she opened her offices to a businessman active in the election denier, denier movement to help investigate results that she did not trust in the weeks after President Donald Trump's 2020 defeat. Trump had carried the conservative county by 40 points, but election supervisor Misty Hampton said she remained suspicious of Joe Biden's win. She said in interviews that she hoped the Georgia businessman who visited later, a man by the name of Scott Hall, and others who accompanied him could help identify vulnerabilities and prove, quote, that this election was not done true and correct, unquote.
Misty Hampton said she could not remember when the visit occurred or what Hall and the others did when they got there. She said she did not know whether they entered the room housing the election management system server, the central computer that is used to tally the results. She told the Post, I'm not a babysitter. Hmm. Hall who owns a bail bond business, did not respond to requests for comment when contacted by the Washington Post. But he had plenty of comments during that phone call with Marilyn Marks on March 7 of last year when he made some pretty extraordinary claims that Marks was smart enough to have recorded and has since included as evidence in her federal lawsuit in the state seeking to ban the unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking device systems there and has been kind enough to share with us. Here is part of that phone call from Scott Hall claiming that he was behind the copying, the theft, if you will, of Coffee County's voting software, complaining on the call to Maryland that he hadn't heard anything back from the folks who were supposed to analyze whatever it was they stole with the alleged permission of the election supervisor, Misty Hampton, who now claims she has no idea what anybody did there. She's not a babysitter. The male voice in this call is believed to be Scott Hall. The female voice that you'll hear is Marilyn Marks. You know, I'm the guy that chartered the jet go down to Coffee County to have them inspect all of those computers. And I've heard zero. Okay. Hmm. I went down there. We scanned every freaking ballot and the elections director and her assistant lost their job. Okay. And have yet learned zero mm -hmm. about all of that effort. Well, who, well, well, why did they not give you any information? That's a great question as to why all of that data, we haven't had a report from anybody. And I keep saying, guys, all of that effort, you know, the same people that went up to Michigan, okay, and did all that forensic stuff on the computers, and they sent their team down to Coffee County, Georgia, and they scanned all the equipment, imaged all the hard drives, and scanned every single ballot. You know, absentee in person, in person, and absentee by mail. And have, have gotten no feedback. They imaged the hard drives? Yes. How in the world did you get permission to do that? We basically had the entire elections committee there. Okay, and they said, we give you permission, go for it. So they went in there and imaged every hard drive of every piece of equipment, you know, all the poll pads, everything. Everything? They made, they imaged, they made copies of everything with the permission of the Coffee County Board of Elections? That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound legal. And, and, and these were the same folks who had done the same thing in a Michigan county. And as Mesa County, Colorado, Tina Peters snuck into her own secured voting system room to do in Colorado, is any of this even legal? And has the Republican secretary of state in Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, taken any action to investigate any of this? as Jenna Griswold, the Democratic Secretary of State in Colorado, clearly has. 
Either way, what were these people trying to do? And what does it tell us about the security of the nation's voting system software? Should we be concerned with so many copies of this stuff now, apparently out in the wild in advance of one of the most critical midterm elections in our nation's history? More to the point... This is not a foreign nation doing any of this or even outside hackers. This is being done apparently all over the country in a whole bunch of swing states by or with the permission of seemingly rogue election officials, insiders, those election official insiders that I have long warned have the easiest access to manipulating election results on the type of proprietary computer voting systems that we now use to tabulate our elections in a way that would be likely be undetectable after an election, by the way. So what is going on here? And why should we be worried about all of this? Answers to those questions and probably many others after a quick break when we will be joined by the heroic Marilyn Marks of the Coalition of Good Governance to explain that recording of hers and what all of this means moving forward. Because frankly... It's nuts, and I could use some help in making sense of it. Marilyn Marks is straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad here at The Bradcast and bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate. And thanks. One cup of coffee, then I'll go. Oh, I'll just drop by to let you know that I'm leaving here tomorrow. I'll cause you no more sorrow. I'll just one cup of coffee, then I'll go. Yeah, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. On Friday, the Washington Post published an investigative report providing uh, details of an alleged serious breach of Georgia's statewide voting system that apparently occurred over a year ago in Coffee County, Georgia. According to a press release from the nonpartisan nonprofit elections watchdog group Coalition for Good Governance, which is suing the state to require them to get rid of the unverifiable touchscreen voting systems forced on voters statewide in the Peach State and to have them replaced with verifiable hand-marked paper ballots before this November's critical midterms, Secretary of State of Georgia Brad Raffensperger and the State Elections Board have taken no known steps to mitigate this alleged breach, despite the pending high-profile 2022 primaries and midterm elections and specific requests that they do so. The alleged breach came to light when Marilyn Marks, executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance, received a phone call in March of 2021 from somebody calling himself Scott Hall, a Fulton County voter who had been active in challenging the 2020 election. Hall claimed that he had engaged a hacker to access the coalition's litigation files in their long-running election security lawsuit. 
At that point, Marx began recording the conversation, which ultimately included Hall's claim that he participated in copying Coffee County's proprietary voting system software and 2020 election data. You know, I'm the guy that chartered the jet to go down to Coffee County to have them inspect all of those computers. I went down there, we scanned every freaking ballot and the elections director and her assistant lost their job. You know, the same people that went up to Michigan, okay, and did all that forensic stuff on the computers, and they sent their team down to Coffee County, Georgia, and they scanned all the equipment, imaged all the hard drives, and scanned every single ballot. You know, absentee in person, in person, and absentee by mail. They imaged the hard drives? Yes. How in the world did you get permission to do that? We basically had the entire elections committee there. Okay. And they said, we give you permission. Go for it. (laughs) Just amazing. Uh, According to the coalition's statement on this uh, Washington Post investigative report that uh, revealed much of this material for the first time, a Coffee County voter and Republican Party leader later told Marilyn Marks that she also witnessed this system breach in question. Last month, as I noted, Reuters detailed similar occurrences in about eight different counties in several swing states, including Ohio, Michigan and Colorado, where proprietary voting system software and hard drives were copied or imaged secretly in many cases, all of which was apparently allowed by or actually carried out by insider election officials in those counties. To date, as far as I know, only one such official, Mesa County, Colorado's county clerk and now Secretary of State candidate Tina Peters, is facing any accountability for any of this. She's facing criminal charges for her part in breaching that county's voting systems. Back in 2005, there was a sort of uh, phony presidential election commission that was put together by George W. Bush's administration after questions about the results of the presidential election in Ohio in 2004. This scam commission was led by Bush family crony James Baker. It was co-chaired by former President Jimmy Carter, who I believe was actually hoodwinked into participating. It was mostly meant, this commission, to supply evidence for the Republicans' push for photo ID restrictions at the polling place. But they also noted this observation in their final report, an observation that it seems like I have been the only one to cite over the years from this report. As the Baker Carter Commission wrote, quote, software can be modified maliciously. There is no reason to trust insiders in the election industry any more than in any other industry. Well, that point should certainly be coming home to roost at this point, it seems to me. So what is going on here? What is the point of all of these breaches by Republican MAGA dead-enders following the 2020 election? How much of a threat does this pose to our critical midterm elections this year? And should we be you know, concerned with insider election officials who have proven themselves willing to take seemingly unlawful actions in committing what seem to be an array of actual election fraud crimes under the guise of ferreting out election fraud crimes. 
Joining us now is Marilyn Marks, who I hope will be able to make some sense of all of this. Marilyn is a longtime expert advocate for free and fair elections as executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance and really quick on that trigger finger, apparently, when it comes to recording phone calls from strange people who seem to be confessing to potential state and or federal crimes. Marilyn Marks, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you so much, Brad. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for allowing me to share this wild story. This is wild. Uh, you know, first, I want to uh, focus on whatever the hell ha- appears to have happened in Coffee County, Georgia, and what, if anything, is being done about it. And then I want to sort of widen it out a bit to the bigger picture, uh, as Coffee County clearly is just one instance of where this was done. Uh, w- w- what what was done in Coffee County? Which officials there, according to the Post, all now seem to be backing away from these? You know, was saying what imaged hard drives? We don't know anything about that. What happened there? Was that unlawful? And if so, what, if anything, is the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who I know you've been suing to get rid of these godforsaken systems, uh, what is he doing to investigate whatever happened? Brad, really good questions. Unfortunately, I don't have the answers for you. (laughs) Um, We are getting nothing but stonewalling from Secretary Raffensperger, and certainly stonewalling in Coffee County. And so there are many mysteries to, um, uh, to unfold here. In terms of what happened, and I do want to say, mm-hmm. you're right, I recorded that phone call from Scott Hall, mm-hmm. who started out the phone call saying, I've just hacked into your litigation files, <laughs> and I demand to, to have some files that I can't find. And I would have not normally recorded a phone call, but when somebody calls and it says they're hacking into your system... Uh-huh. I decided I'd better hit that record button, and I'm so glad I did. Yeah, and me I kept too. talking to him, and and um, until you know, here he burst out with this. Well, um, for a while, mm-hmm. um, it just was not clear that this could really be credible. And as you said, then another eyewitness, who was a political leader, very active in Coffee County, told me that she was there, and she was also an eyewitness. Let's let's presume for a second, then, that what this guy, Scott Hall, is claiming happened mm-hmm. uh, and what this uh, Misty Hampton, who I guess was uh, is the election supervisor in Coffee County. Yes, uh, she was. Uh-huh. She was. I guess she was has since been released. She says that, yes. oh, I don't know what they did. I let them in and they just ran roughshod. I have no idea. Presuming that what Scott Hall said happened and what Misty suggests happened, uh is any of that uh, illegal? Does any of that put Hardly. elections in danger in Coffee County? What what do we make of it if we presume what they said was true? Well, we make of it certainly that they were violating state and federal laws. But when we look at the really difficult part of this yeah. is that it puts not just Coffee County, not just Georgia but really virtually all states that are using the Dominion system Mm -hmm. without doing thorough audits and hand-marked paper ballots, it puts all of these at risk. And in Georgia, as you know, it's not just a Coffee County voting system. Uh Every single one of the 159 counties in Georgia uses the exact same voting system components and software. Uh And so if 
what Scott Hall and others have said happened, truly happened, then there are people who have unauthorized copy of uh, software off the server and off of all of the components. And now they can, as Philip Stark told you, I think back in August, after we saw this happen in Antrim County, Michigan, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then and that software was released to the public. Mm-hmm. So these people can now craft and test malware in the vulnerable in how to exploit the vulnerabilities in an election. So I, I've and, I've always thought when I when we've heard these stories we reported on you know making copies of the software in Antrim County, Michigan, in Mesa County, Colorado, now in Coffee County, and and the other ones uh, detailed by Reuters that these were just true believers. They thought that if they could make uh, get copies of this software, they would find where Dominion was secretly flipping the votes from. Uh, from Donald Trump to Joe Biden, and that, you know, that they were just believers, that that's what they were after, the evidence of the crime. Are you suggesting that this is not so much the evidence, looking for the evidence evidence of a past crime, but perhaps getting information to help them commit a crime in the future? I'm suggesting it could be both. I do believe that these were true believers, who were, were doing this at least initially to try to find evidence or perhaps even fabricate evidence. And if we look at the testimony of some of the Coffee County people as well as Scott Hall, uh-huh. they testified in Georgia hearings at the same hearings where Giuliani was uh-huh. and uh, Phil Waldron and Russ, uh, Russ Remslin uh-huh. and um, uh, a lot of folks who we know were involved in the plot to overturn the 2020 election. And I would commend to your listeners the ProPublica article that was done probably about a month ago. Mm -hmm. It's quite thorough, and it talks about Antrim, Michigan in great detail, and it's called The Building of the Big Lie. And it is tied to a documentary, a 54-minute documentary, Mm -hmm. that is so worth watching on this very topic, Brad, and probably has the characters in there who were also involved in Coffee County, if what Scott Hall says is correct. It focuses on Antrim, Michigan. It is called The Plot to Overturn the Election. And it's chilling to watch. It is absolutely a documentary, no fiction. And you, you watch it, and the information that I have from some of the players mm-hmm. would suggest that we are talking about virtually exactly the same players doing almost exactly the same thing in Coffee County as they did in Antrim, Michigan, which is Mm -hmm. they were working toward fabricating claims based on their access to the server Mm. to try to overturn the election. But let's also realize that now that they have this software, now they they have had the time to figure out how to exploit the next one. So there is obviously every reason to be concerned about all of this. And uh, it's interesting what, what you're suggesting is that they were not just looking for evidence of some sort of a steal by Dominion, but figuring out if they could fake, maybe uh, change the code to, uh, to, to put that fake evidence in 
to then cite that as part of their, uh, I had mentioned the the executive order to seize all the machines. Mm -hmm. Oh, look, here's the code. Uh, And by the way, that that ProPublica article you mentioned, the building of the big lie and the documentary that they did with Frontline. That was on uh, on Frontline with PBS, the plot to overturn the elections. So your press release notes some confusing information, at least to me, about this, about what the Secretary of State of Georgia has had to say about this. Mm. It sounds like they seized, uh, am I correct, that they went down to Coffee County, they seized this uh, server, but they have not, uh, have they done an investigation to determine <laughs> if in fact it was breached or not? I can't tell. Nobody can tell because they're telling everyone different stories. They've told Judge Totenberg one story. They've Mm -hmm. told her that they immediately, upon hearing this tape that we played in the deposition, they say they immediately went to investigate in February 2022, this Mm -hmm. year, a few months ago. But Coffee County has no record of any investigation. County attorneys know nothing about any investigation. Misty told a Washington Post reporter nobody's called her. And um, every week I check with Coffee County, and they say they have they have no record of investigation. Nothing. They're not hearing anything. Also, there is no case initiation form that the Secretary of State has created, and they have to create a case initiation form for every investigation they do. Yet, Gabe Sterling said in his deposition... Gabe Sterling, uh, the election director with with Georgia. Right, right. He is now the deputy secretary of state, or acting deputy secretary of state. He's the number two guy. Mm -hmm. He's the guy everybody saw, you know, who used to come to the the podium and talk about the election and the the aftermath of the election. Mm -hmm. But in his deposition... While it's a little unclear as to what he's saying, he finally comes out and said, yes, we did an investigation, but I can't, I can't remember the findings. <laughs> well, you know, you'd think when a private plane comes down to your county and supposedly copies the software, uh-huh. that that wouldn't be such an everyday occurrence that you would just easily forget what might have been the findings. So we don't know, but we do know that the server, uh-huh. which is kind of the mother load, as you know, of uh-huh. all the software, yeah. that, the, that the server was seized by the Secretary of State. And we think that happened in June, just about a year ago, and um, that they seized to that server, but under the excuse that the terminated employee, which would have been Misty, changed the password and that nobody can get into that server. There's no record of anybody complaining about a password, the inability to get into the server. Misty, of course, says she didn't change the password. I doubt Misty would have known how to change the password because only the secretary has, or the secretary's office has, Mm -hmm. the administrative controls. So this entire server went to the secretary's office. They are still claiming that after having it for 11 months, that they cannot get into it. So they've had this server for 11 months. They uh-huh. there's no they claim they investigated it, but there's no record of them actually opening an investigation. It's right. they seem to be not telling the truth about why they seized the server. And Secretary Raffensperger, that's Brad Raffensperger, who Donald Trump absolutely hates. I believe he's up for re-election this year. Is, is, is he not? 
And yes, and in fact, on Tuesday, there is a primary where he is under heavy challenge from several other Republican contestants for that job. So could one make the case that, oh, going hard on what these uh, Trump supporters did down in Coffee County would not reflect well on him for his re-election chances in a Republican primary in the days ahead for Brad Raffensperger. Is that fair? A, a cynic might say that. <laughs> okay. Um, but, um, but let's also remember this. In January, the AJC, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh-huh. reporter, asked Secretary Raffensperger about Alex Halderman's report. And you have told your listeners about Alex Halderman's report about the insecurity, the vulnerability of this BMD system. That report is sealed, as you know, and it is it is still it's under investigation by Department of Homeland Security's um, mm-hmm. agency, CISA. A- Alex and, Halderman, uh, one, one of the g- greatest uh, uh, white hat uh, hackers, I guess, computer scientists who's uh, found vulnerabilities, serious vulnerabilities in Georgia's uh, touchscreen very, systems. Yeah. Very serious and alarming vulnerabilities yeah. in the system. And so... But Secretary Raffensperger has not read Professor Haldeman's report yet, or at least, um, you know, as a few few weeks ago, he had not. And he had not read it, even though it was filed uh, with his attorneys Mm -hmm. last July. As of January, he had not read it. And the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter asked him, have you read Dr. Haldeman's report? You know, what's up with that? Mm -hmm. And he literally says at this press conference, that's not real world. He says, duh, if, if anybody had access as long as Dr. Halderman, yes, they could change the results. And he says, but that's not real world for anyone to get their hands on the software for that long. But, 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 <laughs> but, but that's exactly what they did here, apparently in Coffee County and, of course, elsewhere around the country where they use the same systems. Uh, Marilyn, I, I've got uh, just a minute. I want to see if I can roll off uh, three really quick questions and answers for you. One, at this point, since it doesn't sound like Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, the chief election official, is actually doing anything about any of this, uh, have you heard from or talked to folks like the district attorney in Fulton County, Fonnie Willis, or any other law enforcement there in Georgia to uh, report what is a very troubling situation here at this point? Not at this point, Brad, and I think the next thing that we will see is that as soon as the stay in our case is lifted, which should be next week, we would expect for discovery to begin again, and we will be very focused on Coffee County discovery. And I think that will be the next action that you will see coming out of, of us in terms of trying to get more more details as to who knew what when and what really happened. And on your actual uh, lawsuit uh, from from whence all of this sort of springs, you know, you, your group has long been suing to get rid of the state's touchscreen systems in favor yes. of hand-marked paper ballots, but these same systems also are used to tally hand-marked paper ballots and can be used to manipulate those results as well. Do you worry that even if you are successful in this federal lawsuit in replacing the unverifiable touchscreen systems, that this tabulator software, which is now out in the wild after being stolen by a bunch of election insiders over the past year, could still be used to manipulate election results in 22 and 24, even if they are on hand-marked paper ballots. 
Well, of, of course we do. But remember that the remedy that we are seeking, the relief we are seeking, is not simply hand-marked paper ballots, but hand-marked paper ballots with very thorough audits. And if we get thorough audits, mm-hmm. then yeah, there can be a hacking, but, but any outcome-changing hack will be detected and can be corrected. So while you can't get rid of the risk, you can remedy that risk. Next week, as you noted, Marilyn Marks, uh, May 24 is the uh, Georgia midterm primary elections. Is there reason to be even more concerned than usual about them because of whatever has happened in Georgia? Well, of course. I mean, the software is, is universal for the state. It is programmed by one small group of individuals with no accountability. And, you know, we don't know who has been in the system and how far any malware may have spread if it were implanted. And so, of course, and that is why at least 50 of the candidates on the ballot next week have filed a request with the state election board some weeks ago to go ahead and go to emergency paper balloting. Everything's set to go, but the state election board and the secretary of state will not do it. They want to hide their heads in the sand despite the reporting that is quite public from Washington Post that the system has been breached. The system has been breached. Now what do we do about it? I have, I have long noted uh, the importance of groups like CoalitionForGoodGovernance.org and the work that Marilyn Marks is doing. Hopefully listeners now understand why, and hopefully if they call her on the phone, they know they could be taped by Marilyn at any time. <laughs> If they say they're hacking my equipment, they absolutely will be taped. There you go. Uh, I am uh, grateful for the work that you're doing. Uh, This story, I suspect, will continue. I think I will look forward to it. Uh, You can find more information on what Marilyn uh, and her group is doing, of course, coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. You can follow her on the Twitters. She is Marilyn R. Marks, the number one, Marilyn R. Marks one. And the coalition is also on Twitter, Coalition Good GV. Boy, oh boy, this story gets crazier and crazier. Marilyn, I'm uh, very grateful that you are willing to come and uh, help us at least try to make sense of it. Marilyn Marks. And I'll look forward to giving you the next uh, chapter when it happens. Oh, uh, I think I'll look forward to it. Thanks, Marilyn. <laughs> Thank you, Brad. All right. Bye. Wow. Wow, indeed. That I told you. It's a crazy story. Uh, so, yeah, we have to get out. Yes. We'll pick it up in the days ahead, I guess. Uh, my thanks, of course, to Marilyn Marks. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your breathless day with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us do this kind of work. Drop me an email if you like. I'm Bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. See you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>